spring training is right around the corner. So come for the games and have a ball in Arizona. With world-class resorts, unbeatable dining and nightlife, amazing scenery, and endless outdoor adventure. Make your visit unforgettable. Plan your getaway at myspringtraining.com. You know those times in the day when you can't fit in a full podcast? Running out to the store, walking the dog, or washing the dishes? Jam is the new way to listen when you have just enough time for the perfect short audio playlist. Get started at listentojam.com slash podcast and get your daily Jam playlist filled with more voices in less time. With Jam, you can choose from news, parenting tips, wellness advice, and more. Go to listentojam.com slash podcast and satisfy your curiosity with short audio. Discover something new every day. Mental Podcast is a show dedicated to individuals and mental health professionals, providing support, information, and some candid conversation along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle and Seth. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mental Podcast. Today, I am sitting down with the prolific author, Paul Matthew Harrison, author of Deconversions, My Journey Through Evangelical Christianity, All the Clever Words on Pages, Part 1 and 2, and God Told Me to Marry You. Uh, It is an honor to have Paul on today. How are you doing, Paul? How are you doing, Seth? Doing all right. Good to see you again. Yeah, you too, man. How are you? I'm all right. Had a had a family outing yesterday and just recovering and enjoying the day off today. Yeah? Yeah. Well, and that's, that's actually kind of what I want to talk to you about a little bit today. Here at Mental Podcast, we are spending our time uh, hearing stories around chronic physical illness and how this impacts one's mental health. And I know you from prior interviews in the past. And I know that you, you deal with quite a bit on the side of physical, physical illness. And so um, I'm really kind of hoping to talk to you today a little bit about a little bit about that. So, so what are you dealing with in regards to physical health? Well, I'm, I'm 45 years old right now. Uh, When I was 16 in high school, I got mononucleosis, which is uh, enlarged spleen swollen lymph nodes, pus, sore throat, Mm -hmm. and um, kind of this crashing fatigue. And usually in about two weeks, you bounce back from that and you're back in the game again. But for me, I never recovered my strength again. And so it was like being in the state of having a flu that doesn't go away. And as weeks turn to months and uh, there was no recovery for me. The doctors didn't know what to think. So this was the early 90s. And the term chronic fatigue syndrome, I think, was pretty new at that time. They had something mm-hmm. called Gulf War syndrome, where people came back from the Gulf War in the early 90s with this sort of crushing fatigue and their, their uh, immune systems were compromised. And there was a lot of talk of that being psychosomatic or traumatic or not a real illness. 
So I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome because they couldn't figure out what was causing that fatigue. And in 1995 was put in a, a program uh, at the hospital to study chronic fatigue syndrome because it was relatively new at that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple years later, I began to feel excruciating pain, uh, full body pain, became hypersensitive to my environment, scents and smells and touch and light sound, it just everything became overwhelming and difficult to handle. Um, and the pain is in your muscles, your joints, your skin feels sunburned. It's just widespread pain from body to toe. You can't localize it. It's very difficult to explain what that kind of pain feels like. So when a doctor right. says, is it shooting? Is it stabbing? Is it burning? It's sort of all the above. But uh, one writer said, it feels like you're in a sauna all the time and you can't get out no matter what you do. So you're just in a 24-7 state of pain and crushing fatigue that doesn't go away. So I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia at that point. And chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia are two different diagnoses, even though the symptoms overlap. Both of them are currently um, incurable, very difficult to treat, and still very little is understood as to what causes the pain and fatigue. And so you just try various doctors, uh, antidepressants, muscle relaxants, and most doctors will send you home and say, just try to get good sleep and manage yourself and watch your diet because there's really nothing um, mm-hmm. anyone can do. So I left high mm-hmm. school at the age of 18 with this, figuring out well, how am I going to live my life? <laughs> yeah. Well, and we have actually, as a show, already had an episode on chronic fatigue syndrome and then had a show on fibromyalgia. So I want to go back really quickly. What At what age were you diagnosed with chronic fatigue? And then how long did you experience that before the fibromyalgia kicked in? The chronic fatigue, the chronic fatigue syndrome diagnosis came about a year after the mono diagnosis. So I think 1995 okay. was the chronic fatigue syndrome diagnosis. And then 1997, I believe was the fibromyalgia diagnosis. So I, I could handle being bed bound and still enjoy life pretty well. I could be active, but I would spend an inordinate time in bed. The rule is usually if you spend one day being active, it takes three days in bed to recover of no activity. So wow. you could pace yourself and still have a, a pretty high quality life. You, know, you can still mm-hmm. feel good and feel your emotions and watch TV and connect with people around you. But with the fibromyalgia diagnosis, that pain flattens everything and it isolates you from what's outside of you. And then when the world around you is hypersensitive, everything becomes painful to you. Every sensation is turned into a pain sensation. And so then your life quality really suffers because there's no way to feel good ever, no matter what you do. Like sleep is your only reprieve if you can get it because the pain and fatigue causes insomnia as well. So those symptoms will start to spiral and, you know, work off one another. And then you're, you're taken underground. And, and when doctors say, sorry, we can't help you, you wonder if there's any way back. And of course that has psychological ramifications for your well being and your life quality and your mm-hmm. identity and what it is you think you can do with your life. Yeah. So right out of high school, working part-time at a bookstore, managing those symptoms and trying to figure out, you know, people saying, why won't you go to college? You can't concentrate. 
I mean, one mm-hmm. of the one of the, usually people think of fatigue as tiredness, but it's just exhaustion. It's 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 no energy whatsoever. You feel like a rag doll. And then fibromyalgia is thought of as pain, but it's a pain you can't describe. So a lot of people will say, I work all day and I come home and I'm in pain and tired, but I just eat something and rest and I wake up and I go to work. But it's not that kind of pain and it's not that kind of tired. And what's mm-hmm. missing that one of the most insidious parts of it is the mind fog where you can't concentrate. So your emotions yeah. are blunted. You can't concentrate. You slur your speech. You become dyslexic. You lose words in the middle of a sentence. You have to use index cards to get through a day as you pace mm-hmm. yourself. So it's very hard to describe just how debilitating this is when you say, yeah, I have a pain and fatigue condition. It, it doesn't really right. capture it doesn't the, the, co- the cost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did From the mono to the chronic fatigue, did you have to have several things ruled out before that you were given that diagnosis? And was that a lengthy journey or a difficult journey? Because I've heard that can be really difficult to even be diagnosed with chronic fatigue because it can present like other things. For example, depression. Depression often will zap one's energy completely to where they're unable to to function. So I'm, I'm curious if there was a ruling out process and what that was like. Sure. Well, it, it uh, the symptoms of depression do mirror chronic fatigue syndrome and yeah. uh, and trauma as well. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're exact. Some people, like for mine, it was a virus like mono. Some people get it after a difficult pregnancy. Some people get it after a car accident. So there is a sense that it might not be. Uh, it doesn't have to be a virus to cause it. And that leads to the stigma of, well, then it's psychosomatic. It's all in your head and all you need to do is snap out of it. But one doctor was kind enough to say to me, even if it is psychosomatic, it doesn't make it any easier to treat Mm -hmm. because it's deep in your subconscious and your nervous system. Something it's through your immune system off whack and it won't realign the way it did previously. And we don't know how to treat that. So it's not just you're making it up in your head and you need to snap out of it. But the, the way they diagnose both chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia is to rule out everything. They take blood tests, x-rays, and if they can't find any cause for it, these are just umbrella words or umbrella terms for we don't know. It's a cluster of mm-hmm. symptoms and we don't know, so we'll call it this. And that's basically what it amounts to. And whether or not that journey is is long one depends on how many tests your doctor is willing to run. They might just do some blood tests, some x-rays, and a few other things. Chronic fatigue syndrome advocates would say, ask them for these 20 other things, you know, and just keep, right. keep you know. But yeah, the whole goal is to, it, once everything else is ruled out, then they'll say, okay, you have unexplained pain, unexplained fatigue. That is untreatable is usually the word, but difficult to treat is better because you can get some progress with diet right. and exercise and sleep and antidepressants and on and on. So, but it, it never cures you to the point of functioning like a, a healthy person in society would function. Mm-hmm. One of the things I would imagine is happening is in addition to being tired all the time, not being able to have the diagnosis right away would be difficult. 
and that it, it kind of feels as if what is wrong with me, I don't know. And you're ruling out all of these issues and you keep running into roadblocks. Yeah. It needs to be, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something else. I would think that process would lead one to believe that their life is out of control and there's no hope. Yeah, that's in those cases, you're hoping they find something. I had one doctor who said, oh, we did. We ran some tests. It's your thyroid. All we got to do is prescribe this to you and you'll be fine. And I cried Mm -hmm. because I was so happy. This was in 2008. So this is more than a a decade with the illness. And I just thought, I'm going to have a life now. You know, you're begging that they find something that they can say, yes, we can treat this or address this. And it was a false positive, I think. And he said, ah, we ran another Mm -hmm. test and sorry, we can't do anything for you. And then I cried in his office (laughs) out of despair that I'm going to be sent home yet again with there's nothing we can do. Just go home and try to manage your your pain and fatigue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like it would kind of lead one to feeling hopeless and then eventually even maybe even want to stop trying because because of that oh that hope of I'm, I'm finally i finally have an answer and then it's it's not finally have an answer then it's not finally have an answer and then it's not i mean that would lead one through an emotional roller coaster yeah and if you if you feel flatness you don't feel your emotions you don't necessarily get like dopamine hits for accomplishing things or you know what i mean like you a normal person would say we're going to go see this movie. I'm looking forward to it. And you get a dopamine hit. You you get a reward for just anticipating it. And then you go Mm -hmm. see the movie and you feel good. You know, your actions paid off. In this case, it's just pure flatness. You know, do you want to go see this movie? I can't even get excited about it because all I know is it's going to be a lot of pain getting there, a lot of energy getting ready, struggling through the movie, paying attention. And then when I get home, I don't feel any of the lightness or well-being or connectedness with my friends. The whole thing just feels like an energy zap and that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm disconnected from them. So when people say, why don't you keep going back to the doctor? Why don't you keep trying this? It's very hard to get motivated to shower or put clothes yeah. on or just walk out the door. So it's, it's very difficult to keep going to the doctor. And mm-hmm. so you, you give up simply because you would give up trying to clean your apartment even you know, much less bothering people to drive you to doctor's appointments. It just feels absolutely overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so let's start talking about that real life impact, because one of the things we've been really highlighting is the holistic approach in that physical illness can most certainly impact one's mental health and not just one's mental health, but also their relationships, their outlook on life and their well-being. And so I want to talk a little bit about, you've already illustrated a little bit that it's, it's most certainly impacted your relationships. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, about that, that aspect. Well, a lot of that can be read in the, in the books you mentioned at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I do have a book outlined to write about chronic illness. I just haven't brought myself to finish it because it's, I don't know how helpful it would be. You know, with a book like that, you feel like you want to say positive things that are hopeful after a recovery that will help people. And this feels more like just having people empathize or commiserate, you know, uh, that other people know you're going through. But it might be therapeutic to write that for yourself alone, whether you even published it. I mean, that could be 
a therapeutic project. I agree. And we'll see if, if that gets published. I, for me, the strange thing I was told was you're an 18 year old male. And this is an illness that is typical of a 30 or plus female. And so to be mm-hmm. a young man coming out of high school, hampered, the feeling is, well, what can I do with my life? And when it comes to dating and relationships, the main question is, well, what do you do? Are you in school? Do you have a job? How much money do you make? Are you going to be a good dad? Can you provide for kids? Can you buy a home? <laughs> you know, what, mm-hmm. what are your goals? What are you doing with yourself? And I just thought I work 25 hours a week at a bookstore where they're very understanding when I need breaks. You know, I'm just doing minimum wage, get myself there and back. I'm living at home with family. So just that whole idea of, well, what can I do with my life? At the time, I was a born-again Christian who believed I had a destiny and there was a big plan for my life and that God wasn't going to leave me like this in my youth. So I had hope that as time went on, some healing would come, whether naturally or supernaturally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I visited faith healers and I had people lay hands on me and pray and anoint me with oil. And I did, you know, positive affirmations and, you know, you try everything. And so it's, a, it's difficult to start life wondering. You've got plans for how you see yourself and what you want to develop yourself into and how you want to present yourself to the world. And now you can't. So every area of your life is not you. You're underdeveloped. You're maldeveloped. I liked working out and being athletic. And now I can't have an athletic body. I liked fashion, but now I can't really afford fashionable clothes. And it, a lot of those clothing hurt on your body. And so you have to buy comfortable stuff instead. And you're just compromising your life away at every step. Can I handle mm-hmm. sharing life with another person if my environment is so overwhelming that I need control over it? I sure can't yeah. raise kids or, kids or take care of pets. So do I have any business trying to get married if I can't even work part-time at a bookstore? You know, so there's this feeling of like your whole life is unraveling in front of you. And yet you're, you know, in between 18 and 21 years old with your whole life ahead saying, well, now what am I going to do? And that can lead you to a sense of hopelessness and despair. And Mm -hmm. after having a, a disillusioning loss of faith, I ended up in that place of despair. Well, there must not be a God. There must not be any purpose to life. I've fallen through the cracks like millions of others who are going to suffer and die. So what's it all worth? So now you've got soul despair, emotional despair, intellectual despair, physical despair. Your relationships are hurt. Your identity is hurt. You're mourning the past you lost. You're mourning the future you could have had. And it just keeps catapulting into every area of your life. And the symptoms cocoon you and encase you away from others where you, you Mm -hmm. feel like there's a, a dissociation or a depersonalization or a derealization like trauma where you feel a yeah. bit like a ghost that can't sit well in your own body because your body is like a hell or a prison that's always in pain. So you can't relate to the outside world. You can't relate to your body. <laughs> You're falling into neurotic and negative emotions that weren't you before you were sick. So who is mm-hmm. this despairing, depressed, angry, resentful monster that's born out of this? There's no area of your life left untouched or disordered by it. Yeah. And it sounds like it's just one thing compounding upon another. And 
mentioning the the step down from faith, that in and of itself is an extremely destabilizing event and changes one's perspective completely. And then to compound that with everything else that's happening, I mean, I'm 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 happy we're talking right now because that that would definitely lead. Um, not only to feelings of hopelessness, but perhaps even feelings of worthlessness and isolation. Well, if you view your value as what you do and what you can accomplish, and in my case, mm-hmm. it was, I'm a Christian, I'm going to do great things for the kingdom of God, I'm going to lead souls to heaven, I'm going to store up treasure to heaven in this ultimate, you know, I'm going to bear fruit Uh, Whatever it is, I'm going to develop musical talents. I'm going to go to school and learn to teach or preach or go to Bible college. You've got all that in front of you. And then all of that disappears. Yeah, it can be difficult. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's talk about what you have done or used to survive. Because I'm imagining that your perspective on life and things have changed over the years, given this situation. Am I wrong? Yeah, they keep changing. I don't think I have anything nailed down. I keep moving along according mm-hmm. to what I learn as I go through, yeah. go through life. Fair enough. I, mean, I, I did have a long atheist phase where I just thought, well, be stoic, toughen up and accept life as it is. There was mm-hmm. a, an atheist named Christopher Hitchens who died of esophageal cancer, and he wrote essays on um, his experience of dying. And it was along the lines of, well, this is boring, and this is to be expected, and we all suffer and die. And you know what I mean? It's like, this is really no big sounds deal. Very, <laughs> sounds very depressing. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, oh, man, I've been out of the church too long. But there, I think there's a verse about like, it's the same thing over and over and over again. You might as well give up to despair. I can't remember what verse I'm referencing, but it's in there. Oh, like uh, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die kind of thing. Yeah. Anyhow, but it's just very <laughs> sad and depressing. It's the same thing over and over again. It's just sad and depressing. Yeah. It doesn't seem very uplifting at all. It's not uplifting. It, again, it's that stoic, non-emotional, just take it on the chin like a man. Detached. That's life. Stop yeah. being such a baby and crying and being such a victim about woe is me because I'm ill. Get over it. Millions of people are sick. Toughen up. Mm-hmm. But that's a certain personality type and a certain temperament that can face life that way. And I tried to emulate it. And I'm just not yeah. built that way. So that wasn't a way that mm-hmm. worked for me. So I returned to some form of belief in a, a, a mysterious or unknown something more, some hope of heaven or some hope of afterlife. But what was really helpful around the same time I read that book, which I think was 2012, there's an author named Tony Bernhardt who wrote a book called How to Be Sick. And she was a professor who got the same thing I did. I think she went on a vacation with her husband and they went jogging or or hiking or something like that and went back to the hotel room and slept and she just felt fatigued and never recovered. And so she has the story of trying to push herself through work and grade papers and sleep in her office in between classes. So she lost her life to this. And she was helped by some Buddhist principles of of radical acceptance. Mourn your loss, mourn your future. Understand that your identity isn't in what you do. In Buddhism, there's a lot of just be. To not be resentful of life mocking you. You walk out your door and 
there's a couple holding hands and that person can drive a car and they can live in that house and you see normal life happening, you can be resentful. So she would say, try to have an attitude of like gratitude and happiness for each person you see. Yeah, like uh, mm-hmm. a, a loving kindness meditation or a care or a, a, a prayer of blessing on them or something like that. And then just this being thankful for each moment of the day, because you can't, in some cases, if you have a flare up, you can't plan your day. You have to really go hour by hour. So rather mm-hmm. than viewing your life as a story where I'm going to leave a legacy and I'm going to do these things and that's going to be me and my identity, it really is like I am sipping this cup of coffee and I'm tasting every sip and I'm thankful for each one. And then when I'm done with that, that's in the past. And now I move on to the next moment where I'm very engaged. And so it's something like sitting at the park and looking at trees or feeling the breeze on you. So there's ways to make meaning out of the smallest things you're doing each day to just enjoy being without doing and not find your value in becoming something or becoming someone or leaving a legacy or even having to be healthy. You can mm-hmm. close your eyes and do mindfulness and escape. Similarly, there, another book I read at that time was The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Uh, I think Bobby was the author's name. And he's a guy that had a stroke and uh, ended up with locked-in syndrome where he couldn't communicate with the outside world except to blink one eyelid, at which he blinked oh, wow. into a laser. And he wrote his book with this laser picking out the letters. And in this book, he was talking about how you, you simmer memories because he's never going to be able to live like he did before. But his inner life became so rich, it became fuller and more enjoyable than the actual life he had living in the physical world. So he was mm-hmm. able to kind of have this full interior life that was very enriching and rewarding. So if, if you go through a type of meditation where somebody has you imagine squeezing a lime onto your tongue, you can taste it and you will have a physiological response. So if you can remember what those foods taste like and remember what certain experiences were like running on a beach, having an orgasm, all of those things, you can then have those in your inner life. And they're just as vivid as your external world. If you put 10,000 hours of hard work and discipline into something, you can become uh, an expert or a virtuoso. Meditation masters spend 10,000 hours sitting still meditating. So it's like if you wake Mm -hmm. up in the morning stuck in your bed, clock in, learn to meditate. You can be a meditation master. So it's like having a full life under house arrest or a full life in prison or a full inner life, if possible. And then you balance that with what new treatments are available? What can I do in in my external world as well? Are are there doctors? Are there diets? Is there exercise? Should I schedule Mm -hmm. myself? So you're trying to take care of every area of your life at once and, and balance them. You can connect with people and then you go inside. You can be active and then you rest. You can go try a new treatment and then you can retreat from that and rest from that for a while. So you're never landing on one thing. You're, you're trying a lot of different things and hoping in tandem mm-hmm. all of them will come together. And maybe if they don't heal you, they at least improve your life quality to whatever degree they can. You know those times in the day when you can't fit in a full podcast, running out to the store, walking the dog, or washing the dishes? Jam is the new way to listen when you have just enough time for the perfect short audio playlist. Get started at listentojam.com slash podcast and get your daily jam playlist filled with more voices in less time. 
With Jam, you can choose from news, parenting tips, wellness advice, and more. Go to listentojam.com slash podcast and satisfy your curiosity with short audio. Discover something new every day. Right. Well, it sounds like it requires a holistic approach. Yeah. And it requires really looking at every aspect of your life. And I'm really encouraged that you've been able to find meaning um, in this situation. And it sounds like you're, you're finding that meaning in those little moments. And, and rather than focusing on tomorrow, what can I do right now? Um, and really trying to be present, which is something that we really struggle with in our culture. Sure. <laughs> is, is stepping back and, and finding value in the little things. Again, I think it comes down to people's personality types. If you're an introverted mm-hmm. type B, slow and steady and you have a rich inner life and you're highly imaginative and creative, well, it can, it can be great to be able to be home in books or be home in your thoughts. But if you're an action-oriented uh, multitasker who wants results that are practical mm-hmm. in the physical world, well, then that can be a hell where sipping your coffee and tasting it ain't going to work. They're going to need a different approach. So there is no one-fits-all approach. People have to, right. it's sort of an eclectic you got to find what works for you or helps you. Mm -hmm. When I imagine like even being able to work would be a a significant challenge. And it sounds like with the amount of toil that this puts on, on one's body and one's mind working would be difficult. And then how do you pay for everything? Like that's a, that's a very fine balance as well. Well, I got on disability when I was 23, got on social security it's very difficult to make a case. You have to have years of doctors and former mm-hmm. employers, family members, you know, really testify to this because no test shows anything. It shows you're in perfect health. It's symptomatic. Right. So it can be faked. And a lot of people still don't believe you, including friends and family who mm-hmm. seen you suffer for years and go, oh, I don't know. I think he just doesn't want to work. You'll hear stuff like that. So I was able to get on disability, but then, yeah, you live on back then it was like 640 a month in time. It went up to eight something a month. Now it's about a thousand a month and my rent is 890. So I struggle through each month. I really should be in a roommate situation or in a cheap rent in a small town somewhere, you know, but as far as work goes and being productive, there's an author named Thomas Moore who he wrote a book called Dark Nights of the Soul. And his view was that if you, if you have a chronic illness, don't look at it as an interruption uh, to life. It, it is life. Illness is a part of life. And so some people have a lifelong chronic illness. Other people have a terminal illness where they're just trying to, what is it, palliative care, I think it's called, where you, it's just you're improving the life quality of somebody who's on their way to death. And so when you're laying in a bed with a book or a TV on, people will say, oh, it must be nice to just lay around watching TV and reading. If you could do that, you can work from home, can't you? You can do medical billing or you can, but right. it's not resting. Your body is on fire while you're sitting in that bed. It's difficult mm-hmm. to pay attention to TV. You can read five pages and then you close the book and put it away. And it took me five and a half years to write all the clever words on pages struggling through the, the mind fog and fatigue, having to put it down for months at a time. So what it looks like to the outside, it's like, oh, even if you're sitting at home, couldn't you work from home and be productive? 
sparingly uh, in your own time, you can't be scheduled because you don't know when a flare up comes. You want, I, right. I've tried working so many times and have let down coworkers and let down bosses from calling off, standing behind the register, shaking, unable to vacuum at the end of the shift. So you're having other people do your work. And after a while, it's just like, okay, you know, your limits, you're not supposed to, to do this. Mm-hmm. So you're very limited in what kind of work you can do, even from home. You, you have to have the energy to focus or concentrate to do anything. And there's times mm-hmm. you don't even have that. So it's not a relaxing resting when you're sitting at home, watching your life pass you by while you lay there in pain and crushing fatigue while everyone else yeah. gets to live and make money and thrive and do these things and then say to you, Oh, it must be nice to lay around and enjoy yourself all day. It's like, you don't get it. <laughs> So there's two things I want to, I want to bring up from, from that piece. Um, the first thing is I just want to mention support system, because even as you mentioned, like (laughs) there's not much money left over from what you're receiving in order to, to survive. And so having a a, a support system, someone you can live with someone that can kind of help out sounds like that would be very, very important. And then the other thing I want to mention is just a little bit of time on some of the negative messaging that you have received and how that's impacted you because it sounds like there's been quite a bit of negative messaging and opinions that have been shared that doesn't really take into consideration what you're going through yeah as far as the support system goes obviously since the rise of the internet and youtube and on and on it's been easier to find people who have what you have and who understand people have been telling me for years to to see a therapist, an actual therapist, don't just read books about it, don't just get into sport groups. But I've, I haven't done that, I think, because, again, it takes effort and energy to do the smallest things, including keep mm-hmm. appointments. So it always f- felt too overwhelming to go visit a therapist or even go to doctor's appointments. So most of it has been online or by reading other people's books, which, again, it's everybody has a different approach. I, I wouldn't recommend doing it my way. If, if you need to see a therapist, see one. Support groups, I think for me, it would get toxically negative fast. We would all just cry and commiserate and we would call each other on the phone and then every day the phone would ring with more, hey, I want to kill right. myself. I don't, and I just thought, well, this is bringing me down to the point that I, I can't listen to this. I can't be there for you. So that became difficult. I had to pull away from other people who were ill like me and try to find healthy people just to sort of feed off the energy of healthy people, you know, Mm -hmm. thinking maybe if I got around more healthy, happy, optimistic people, it would rub off on me somehow and pull me into life, which has a little bit of a psychological benefit, but not, I can't ever really join them in what they're doing in the way that they enjoy it. You know, as far Mm -hmm. as the negative messaging, most of my friends and family have been really positive and as have my doctors, none of them have said, this isn't real, or this is all in your head. They've just said, sorry, we can't treat it. And they would recommend me to other doctors who would say, well, if the last one said they can't treat you, then I won't either. But this is where friends and family will say, well, I looked on YouTube and there was an alternative cure that worked for someone. Uh, like there's someone who had the same symptoms I did for three years and she went to the Amazon rainforest and they put like a burn on her shoulder and they rubbed 
like frog poison into it and detoxed her and then all of her symptoms disappeared you know so there's that hey have you tried that yet no then i guess you don't really want to get better so there's a lot of that what are you doing if you if you're not following every sort of quack remedy that pops up on youtube or the internet you know Mm -hmm. the the medical Mm -hmm. community don't know what they're talking about you need to try tapping or you need to try balancing your chakras or you need to try these cleanses and it goes on and on with if you're not wasting all your time, money, and energy on this, I guess you don't want to get healthy. You know? Yeah. Which is like, at some point, you're already exhausted having tried so many things. And at yeah. some point, having hope for some eventual solution just to be let down, as we mentioned at the beginning, is extremely overwhelming. And so it makes sense. Yeah. You keep the Sisyphus rolling the rock up the hill and back down again. It feels futile after a while to keep beating yourself up with the same experience. It's like, okay, I got Mm -hmm. it. Uh, But I have friends who have very stubborn problem solving personalities and they'll just say, no, 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 no. I don't believe there's no cure for this. There's gotta be. And you can see them almost pacing in their skin, trying to find a solution. Like there's gotta be, you gotta do something, man. So they're frustrated because they love me and they want to see me thrive. Mm-hmm. And they, so if they're very driven action centered people and they see me not taking those steps, again, it's very hard to empathize with crushing fatigue and crushing pain, taking all the pleasure chemicals out of your experience and leaving you laying there flat in a hole. People can't reach you. Good feelings can't reach you. You've got, you have to imagine a payoff to things like you used to in your past because that same payoff is delivered. So when they say, aren't you motivated to get better? Well, no, I can't feel anything. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? And if you yeah. add traumatic experiences to that, if you have PTSD and numbness from traumatic experiences that have nothing to do with the chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia, just from a marriage lost True. or lost faith. There's or even dis- religious trauma. Sure. Like RTS. Yeah. I mean, any of it. all all of that compiles to put you in a hole in the ground and you Mm -hmm. can't see the light of day. So it's very hard to, to get up and get out and believe that something will work and that life will go well for you. And you've experienced this after years and years and years and years of trying. So when you finally get, put your hands up and surrender and say, you know what, I've accepted this is the way it's going to be. Then comes in the accusation oh, well, no wonder you're that way. You're not even trying. If you don't believe you're going to get better, you never will. So I think you're doing it to yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Which is then just infuriating because it just sends you back into a circle. But then you stay away from those people because you imagine you upset them. Your negativity is toxic to them. They Mm -hmm. want to go thrive. You don't want compassion fatigue to wear out its, uh, their, their compassion to wear out its welcome. So now you're isolating from all the healthy people in your life. And that's no good if you're spiraling into a hole in the ground, falling mm-hmm. into despair, because that puts you into really dark places. There's times that I feel like, well, I died a long time ago and I'm just dragging this body around. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it's, it's a scary place to walking. stay stuck. Yeah. 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 Is there any positive? Is there anything that you have learned in this process or things that you've taken away that have helped you in surviving what you've been going through? Because and maybe there isn't, you know, maybe it's all, maybe it's all negative, but what do you think? 
Well, I brought up Thomas More, who wrote Dark Nights of the Soul earlier, and he said, for some people, your, your entire life is managing your symptoms. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you can build a life quality just in that. Because again, you're yeah. imagining you've got to do something, you've got to be something. I need to be somebody's husband or wife or parent, or I need to be needed or necessary or whatever the case is. And so there's a bit of this Buddhist concept of people like my brother will say to me, I have all the things you don't, or my friend, Aaron, who I wrote about, he'll say, I'm married. I have kids. I'm in a band. I've got a PhD. I teach, I do all these things and I'm not much more happier than you. Like these things don't lead people to happiness and contentment. So you're sort of idealizing everybody else's lives. Everyone else is happy and I'm not, I'm stuck here sick. Right. And it's not really that way. So a lesson you learn is to be content with yourself in your inner life even and to find value sitting still with yourself, not doing anything at all. And if you have that Mm -hmm. peace, then you can you can take that into everything you do. And then you're not counting on any of those things to be your value or the thing that gives your life meaning. So now you enter a marriage saying this isn't my end all be all. This is just a good thing to experience and let go of. Mm -hmm. So that's a valuable lesson to stop running after things to make you fulfilled because the fulfillment is right there inside of you, no matter what state you're in. If you have locked in syndrome and you're stuck in a bed in your inner life, you can go to blissful places. You can Mm -hmm. speak gently to yourself. You can love and value yourself. You can pray for other people. There's always something you can do in any, in any situation you're in. And I think that's such an important message and such an important life lesson that really only comes out of suffering. You kind of only get to that conclusion when, once you've suffered. And I want to thank you so much for coming on today. And I think that's a really good message to kind of wrap things up in is really paying attention to those little moments and finding value in your own internal life and thought life and being able to step back from that comparison game because it is it'll destroy you if you're not careful so finding value within yourself and for better or worse the things you envy that other people have and you don't the the buddhist message is well it's only temporary for them too Sickness finds us all, death finds us all, loss finds us all, tragedy finds us all. So we're all going to have to come to a place of figuring out how we're going to see value in lives and value in ourselves and value in each other as all of that pain and suffering comes because that's an ineradicable part of everybody's life. So there's a sense of they could be envious that you've already done some soul work here and that you have some contentment in your life experience that they're not ready for when that comes and now you can help counsel them with what you what you've learned and understand through pain and tragedy wow that's powerful that is powerful paul um ladies and gentlemen paul matthew harrison mental podcast thank you so much for coming on today thank you science proves quality sleep is vital to your mental emotional and physical health 
The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movements and automatically adjusts to help keep you both effortlessly comfortable. And it's temperature balancing, so you stay cool. So you're at your best for yourself and those you care about most. Life-changing sleep, only from Sleep Number. Don't miss our weekend special. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 limited edition smart bed plus special financing ends Monday. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. With Black Friday savings at the Home Depot, you'll find top brand kitchen appliances with innovative features that can do more so your holidays can be more. Ovens with built-in air fryers for baking the perfect cookies. Dishwashers with smart tech to clean everything from bakeware to festive mugs. And high-capacity refrigerators to keep leftovers fresh. Shop Black Friday savings and get up to 30% off, plus instantly save up to $750 on select GE kitchen packages at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Offer valid November 2nd through November 30th. U.S. only. See store or online for details.